Well, we're continuing to work our way through Isaiah 53. So if you could open up your Bibles to Isaiah 53, we're going to look at verses 4 through 8. And then after this one, we're going to slow down and we're going to look at just one verse at a time for the rest of the series leading up into Easter. But this week we're covering a little bigger portion Verses 4 through 8. Remember, this was written by the prophet Isaiah. It was written 700 years before Christ was born, and he was prophesying and preaching to God's people about the Messiah who was going to come. And he he writes this about the Messiah. He took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was stricken. Well, everyone is searching, seeking for the good life. Every single person in this room this morning, every single person that you run into as you go out onto the streets and into the grocery stores and the gas stations, everyone is searching for the good life. And that's why, if you look at the New York Times bestseller list, every, well, okay, every book is probably an exaggeration, but the vast majority of the books on the New York Times bestseller are going to be a self-help book. Here's what you can do to live the good life. Here's what you can do to get your life together. <clears throat> and that really just points to one important reality. If, if everyone's seeking for the good life, it just tells us that we haven't arrived there yet. That we all recognize somewhere deep down inside us that we're not quite living the good life. That something's missing. Something's not quite there. Something We, we need something more and so we keep searching for the good life. And it ends up seeming like the good life is some mirage on the horizon. That we keep seeing it out there, we keep going after it, but we never quite get there. Always seeking and never finding and uh, one of the commentators I read this week um, said this, we, we wish for more than we're able to achieve so that the good life is always eluding us. We long for a truly happy life, but we are constantly balked by sorrow in whatever form it may come, disappointment, bereavement, tragedy, whatever. And, and as I was reading that, I, I thought back to January, whatever, the first Sunday in January where I was kind of talking about what our congregation had been through in the previous year. And I said if there was, you know, pretty much every part of our body was operated on this past year, right? We're a a congregation who's aware that this is true. We've struggled with disappointment, bereavement, and tragedy. People in our congregation suffering with cancer for a year, suffering with MS, with 
with organs that are failing and joints that are failing. Um, some of you, it just seems like you, over the last year, you've lost loved one after loved one after loved one and just had sorrow upon sorrow. And if you were to look, some of you would look back on this past year and say, yeah, this past year was marked with grief and sorrow. And I think all of us know another struggle that we all have this kind of struggle with sin in our lives. That we're, we're, we're living our lives, we, we want to follow Christ, we want to follow Him, we want to do what, what makes Him happy, and yet sin seems to be always just kind of hanging around, ready to pounce on us, right? Genesis says that sin's crouching at the door, ready to pounce on you. And we kind of feel that. It's, it's right there, right? Sin's always at our door. And, and we, we know that these things are destructive, that they bring about death, and yet we find ourselves falling into them over and over and over again. There's this war going on inside us between our, the spirit that's in us and the sinful nature, and they're fighting with one another. And, and we find ourselves falling into sins over and over again. We find that anger, bitterness, lust, lying, unbelief, selfishness, kind of each take their turn at being our pet sin of the week. And so it's no wonder that we look for something better because there's something deep down inside us that goes, this is not good. This, this wrestling with sin every day, every week just feels wrong. There should be something better out there or, or having loved ones suffer and in pain and in the hospital. It just something's not right. We need something more. And then we read this. In a life marked by sorrow and grief, it says, He has borne our griefs and He carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. As we recognize that our lives are marked by this struggle with sin, we read, He was pierced for our transgressions and He was crushed for our iniquity. I mean, it's powerful that, that we recognize in a life that's marked by grief and sorrow, this, this passage tells us that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, took the weight of that grief and sorrow off of you and He put it on His back and carried it for you. And in a life marked by a struggle with sin and a battle with sin, He was pierced and crushed so that you wouldn't have to pay for that sin yourself. He was pierced and crushed so that your sins could be forgiven, wiped clean as snow, cast as far as from the east as from the west, wiped away from you because of He was pierced and crushed. And the reality is, you cannot live the good life. You cannot find the good life apart from Jesus Christ. Because at the core, he is the one who brings that. And, and there, there's a lot of imagery in this passage that uh, just was resonating with me as I prepared this all week. And one of, those, one of the images that this, this passage kind of brings up over and over again is this idea of weight. Just a weightiness to things. And, and I, I know you've felt this if you've ever lost a loved one. You know, when you find out that someone that you love has died and all of a sudden you feel a weight. Right? And it, and it kind of sits right here. <laughs> Way deep down inside, there's a weight just hanging on your soul, and you don't know what to do with it. 
That's that weight of grief and sorrow. But there's also a weightiness that comes just from the guilt and shame of our own sin, isn't there? When, when, when we know that we have messed up and we know that we have done wrong, there's a weight that just hangs there. It hangs on your conscience and it just kind of bears down on you. And if you go home today, open up to Psalm 38 and read what he, how he talks about the sin in his life. He said, my sin was weighing on me. I was weak in the knees. I could barely move. I felt like I was about to collapse because my sin was just weighing on me that heavy. Because there's a weight to grief and there's a weight to sin. And yet it says, this passage says, he carried that. That Jesus Christ came into the world to take that that weight that, that hung on your soul from grief and sorrow. Christ said, I'm going to take that weight off of your shoulders and I'm going to bear it on my own back and I'm going to carry that for you. And he carried that for us throughout his whole life. Not just as he was leading up to the cross, but, but just as he lived in the midst of a broken world because of sin, he, he carried our grief. He carried our sorrow. And then as he led up to the cross, it got more intense and more intense and he kept carrying our grief. But he carried the weight of our sin and death too. That, that weight of guilt and shame that wears on us for the sin in our life, Christ said, he said, I've, I've pulled that weight off of your shoulder too and I put that on my back. He bore that on the cross. He, he, he carried the weight of the sin of the world on his back as he lay it on the cross and leading up to it. And he said, you don't have to carry it anymore. You don't have to walk through life with the weight of that hanging on your conscience. You can get rid of it because Christ has carried it for you. And we're reminded that everyone needs it. Everyone feels this weight. It says we all, all of us, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity or the sin of of it all. I mean, that means that every single person in this room is carrying some weight. You've got a weight of grief and sorrow on you. And everybody you run into as you walk around in the world, as you go to the grocery store, you walk on the street, they're all carrying this weight because we're all trying to do things our own way. We've all said to our shepherd, no, I'm going to do it my way. We're all like sheep where the shepherd's trying to lead us to green pastures and quiet waters and we say, nah, I'm going to the valley of the shadow of death. And so then he says, I'll walk with you through that then. We've all got this little rebellious streak in us. And, And we all have a little angry toddler inside of us that looks at us and gives us that face and goes, I'm doing it my way. I'm going to do it my way, right? And we all have that inside of us and we look at God and we say, "Uh uh-uh, I'm doing it my way. And because of that, we carry around weight of sin and death. And we carry around, because we live in a world full of people who are saying, God, I'm going to do it my way, we carry around this weight of grief and sorrow. 
And we don't want to carry it. it. It's exhausting, right? I mean, it's really exhausting to have this weight bearing down on you. So we, we try to dump it off in, in any way that we can. And so sometimes we'll, we'll be going through and we get sick of this weight hanging on us. And so we try to just dump it off on somebody else and say like, no, I'm feeling this way because of you. You need to carry this weight. And I'm going to get it off my shoulders and you're my problem. And so I'm going to give all of the weight to you and you carry it because I'm sick and tired of carrying it. But the reality is, is they can't carry it. And the reality is they're not the problem. We also, we also try to sometimes just try to forget about it. But like if I, if I just go through life and I just work really hard and I forget about this weight that's bearing down on me, then it'll be all okay. So I'll just work nonstop morning till night. So I don't have to think about the weight. I'll just keep myself really, really busy and I don't have to think about it. Or I'll I'll just drink enough so that I can forget about it. Or I'll just work really hard on just ignoring it throughout everything I do. And yet none of that takes the weight away. It actually increases it. That that weight gets heavier and heavier and heavier upon our soul. And uh, this last week I was listening to someone talk about R.C. Sproul and, and the, when he interacted with non-believers, talking to them about the gospel. He said, he said that every, every one of his conversations always ended up coming down to one question. And it was, what do you do with your guilt? What do you do with it? What do you do with the weight of guilt and sorrow that hangs on your shoulder? Like, what, do you, what do you do with it? Because that's really the question. And the reality is, I don't think there's, like, no other religion has an answer to that question. You, if you're a Hindu, how do you deal with your guilt? You try to live a good enough life that you'd be reincarnated at a higher level and a higher level, and eventually you'll work your way up to being one with the universe. But that's on you. You've got to save yourself. I mean, Islam is the same way. You, how do you deal with your guilt? Well, I have to do enough good that I tip the scales in my favor. And if I tip the scale in my favor, I'll be okay. And yet, you're still not doing anything with your guilt. If, if you just reject God completely and you say, there is no God, I'm, I'm an atheist, um, what ends up happening every time is you make yourself God. And then you become responsible for your own salvation. And what you end up doing is either trying to, like I mentioned before, you end up just trying to lay that weight on somebody else's shoulders, or you do the same thing that all the other religions do, and you just try to, I'm going to do more good than bad, right? I feel really guilty because I messed up and I sinned, and so now I'm going to go out and I'm going to do something really good, make myself feel better, and that's going to get rid of the weight of guilt in my life. And yet, it doesn't. It doesn't get rid of it. The only way you can get rid of it is to look toward Christ. The one who carried the weight for you. The one who comes in and removes that weight from you. Because if you try to save yourself, if you think that you can save yourself by doing more good than bad, you, you put all of the weight of saving yourself on your shoulders and it's a weight that you were never made to carry. Um, is it a possible weight to get rid of? And you end up being crushed under it. Uh, which is another image in, in this passage. There's this image of, of weightiness being on Christ and on us 
that ends up crushing us. And as I thought of that, I couldn't help but think of a ruined city. Um, And a number of years ago, I went on this trip through Turkey and Greece and got to travel and see all these different cities from Paul's missionary journeys. And and every one of them, well, okay, not everyone, most of the cities I saw were all ruined. At one time, they were they were bustling. They were the centers of of population and life in the world. And now they were run down. There was no life, no activity, people walking through the ruins of of life gone by, walls collapsing, buildings falling down, crushed. And this passage says that's really what our lives look like because of the weight of sin and death. Lives crushed because of sin and death. Lives becoming empty, falling apart under the weight of sin and death. Shells of what they once came. People searching for life and activity, looking for something better, looking for what once was looking for the good life, maybe possibly dreaming about what this city could look like one day, but never finding it because it's still crushed and ruined. And yet the picture, the beautiful picture here is that in the midst of our ruined city of a life, life that was crushed by sin and death, Jesus Christ was crushed. He, he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds or by his crushing, we are healed. He was crushed in order to restore our crushed lives. I mean, that, that word healed at the end actually means rebuilt. So Christ was crushed in order to come into our lives that were crushed so that we could be rebuilt, so that our lives could be restored from the ground up. The, the anxiety and uneasiness that kind of results from grief and sorrow that feels like it's kind of ripped our soul into pieces, because Christ was ripped into pieces, now our souls can be sewn back together and be whole once again. We can now find peace. Because Christ has bore that guilt and that sorrow for us. And I think when everybody's looking for the good life, this is really what everybody's looking for. Peace and healing. Right? Peace that come, that we, we lack peace because we're torn up on the inside because of grief and sorrow. And, and, and we lack healing because of the sin going on inside of us that's, tearing us apart. And, and so we, we, we see all of that going on in the world around us and we want peace and healing. And I'm saying that's the good life. A life of peace and healing through Jesus Christ. And you can't get that peace. You can't receive that healing apart from Jesus Christ. The one who carried that on our behalf. The one that was pierced for our sin and for our grief and for our sorrow. Through Him, we can finally begin to taste the good life, which is a life of peace and healing. But that rebuilding process, when, when we give our lives to Christ and He comes in and starts rebuilding the ruins of our life, it doesn't all happen immediately. 
And uh, we all know that from experience, right? When I believe in Jesus, it's not that I have perfect peace and perfect healing all at once, right? It comes in slowly. It's a restoration project where he comes into your life and starts rebuilding things from the ground up. But you begin to experience it. Through, through faith in Christ, you can stop trying to save yourself and rest completely on Jesus Christ for your salvation. And you could take that weight and throw it on Him. Through faith in Christ, you could take the weight of guilt and shame that hangs on you because of sin in your life and you can place that on Christ's shoulders because He said He's going to carry that for you. Through faith in Christ, we could take our anxieties and our cares and our burdens and our griefs and our sorrows and we can, we can throw them at His feet and because we know that He cares for us. And we could do that over and over and over again. And then one day we begin to experience the peace that surpasses all understanding. But through faith in Christ, our, our lives begin to get rebuilt. I mean, things start to actually change in our lives and, and, and walls begin to get erected and windows put in and, and doors put in and, and slowly we begin to look more and more like Christ and begin to see the good life there. We slowly go from having a broken life to a life that's brought together in wholeness and healing. And through faith in Christ, these lives that were once ruined cities can be rebuilt and restored so that they become a city on a hill, shining forth the glory and the praise of God to the rest of the world. It's through Christ and what He's done on the cross, through this, what we're celebrating through Lent, it's through Him that we finally have peace and healing and restoration. It's through Him that we get a taste of the good life that everyone is seeking for. It's through Him we can live the life that He's created us to live. A life that is full of peace and wholeness. A life lived to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we lay our lives at your feet. Admitting and recognizing that we are sheep that have gone astray. Or that we're rebellious toddlers always wanting to do things our own way. Father, we ask your forgiveness for rejecting you, walking away from you, ignoring you. But we thank you for the work of your Son, that he's promised to carry our grief and our sorrow, that he was pierced for the forgiveness of our sins. And so we take our sin, Lord, and we hand it to you. We ask you to remove it, forgive it. We take the grief and the sorrow that we come here with this morning and we lay it at your feet and we trust you to carry it and work on our behalf. We take the weight of our guilt and our sin and our shame and we we lay it on your shoulders and we ask you to do with it as you will. Lord, free us this morning from the weight that bears down on us. Redeem us. Lord, bring, bring peace into our lives like you've promised. Bring healing and restoration into our lives as you've promised. And Father, as we, as we leave this morning, renew your spirit within us and give us strength and peace and courage 
as we live lives in the world that you've created to live. Father, help us to taste. Help us to get a taste of the life you've created us to live. And all God's people said, Amen.